I want to uh, begin this morning by saying a quick word of thank you to my brother, Ruben Cabrera, who's over here, who did a phenomenal job last week in preaching the word. You know, it's difficult enough to master one language. I'm still working on English, but to have uh, the ability to preach in two languages on a very quick notice is what a, what a gift and a blessing to our church, brother. And then not only to have the use of the language, but the clear knowledge of the Bible and just uh, love for our people. So grateful for you and, and what a gift and blessing to our church. So thank you for preaching last week. I was blessed. I trust you were as well. I wasn't here because many of you know that for the past week and a half, I've been dealing with the coronavirus. Yes, I was able to escape it for seven or eight months, but finally COVID caught up with me. And it was especially difficult because of how it overlapped with Thanksgiving. And I want you to imagine just the specific cruelty of this virus to hit me during a holiday that is known for food. When you can't taste anything, and yet people are bringing you because they love you, and they're bringing these care packages to you and leaving you the most incredible food, I have no doubt, on your doorstep, and yet you could not taste any of it. That was certainly a major drawback of COVID over Thanksgiving. But the most difficult aspect was not the lack of taste. The most difficult aspect for me was the lack of community, that I couldn't be around my family. Um, you know, in the whole quarantine season that we've been in, at least to this point, I was able to be around Jordan and our kids as long as we were in the same house. But all of a sudden, when I started showing symptoms and then ended up testing positive, I couldn't even be with them. I had to be alone in my room. And then once she felt, once she tested negative, they went down to my in-laws in Houston. So they were all together. And here I am on a holiday known for gathering. And like many of you, could not gather with the people that I love. And as I sat there on Thursday in my room all by myself, um, thinking of Celine Dion's song to myself, you know, uh, I don't want to be all by myself anymore. Uh, I was thinking about the lesson that we've been learning throughout this season of quarantine, this season of COVID, the way that God has reminded us of the way he's designed us for community. We we were created to live in community. We were created initially, and even in our recreation, we see God evidencing his design of us to live in community. Do you know that God lives in community? He is a communal God. He is three in one, three persons in one being. He exists in relationship. And we, as his chief design, created in his image, we have also been designed to live in relationship. We desire to be with people. We desire to 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 commune and have fellowship with other human beings. And on the other side of salvation, we, we have this desire put within us to be a part of a specific people, a unique type of relationship, a unique type of community where the redeemed of God gather together to display the glory of God. And we recognize that this community has tremendous blessings attached to it for ourselves and for the world around us, for ourselves. This community offers love, friendship, encouragement, sharpening as we seek to walk together in 
holiness shaping into the image of Christ. And, and for the world around us, a blessing as, as they are able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that God has birthed within us for him and for each other on display. So many incredible blessings to the community that God has called us to. And yet we also recognize that there are challenges. We are called to live in relationship. And yes, there are blessings in those relationships. But there are also challenges that won't be fully resolved until we are sitting in the full realization of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. And as we transition into Matthew chapter 7 today, approaching the end of, of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus teaching us how to live in relationship challenging us how we are to walk wisely with one another as his people for the good of the kingdom. After addressing earlier in the Sermon on the Mount more individualistic concerns and concerns that apply directly to our individual relationships with God, Jesus now addresses the way that we should interact with others both inside the community and outside of the community, as we seek to to steward amongst ourselves the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, as the people of God, we are called to be a people of love. Love. We are people who have been loved incredibly. I want you to think about the gospel just for a moment, because the gospel is going to fuel our response to God in every single circumstance and should fuel our interaction with one another. I want you to think about the love that God has displayed for us in his gospel work. God so loved us, the most tremendous, incredible kind of love that you could ever imagine, that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. So whoever believes in him would not perish, be eternally separated from God, but would rather have eternal life. That is mind-blowing love. That is supernatural love. That is love that is beyond our grasp outside of the help of the Holy Spirit to have a holy and righteous creator God look upon his rebellious creatures in that way, to love us so completely that he would give his son to rescue us from that which we could not rescue ourselves. Incredible love that God has shown us and that love has transformed us. And now because of the way that God has loved us, we love him and we love each other. In fact, the Bible says that it is our love for one another that proves that we are his. The way that we interact in our love proves that the love of God has done something to us and transformed us. Our testimony as a people who have been so incredibly loved and now love one another is the foundation of our testimony as the people of God and how he uses us to build the kingdom of God. And so as the people of God, I want us to let Jesus sharpen us as we seek to walk in loving wisdom, as we seek to to walk in the gospel in the kingdom of God. And let's see how he challenges us to live in loving wisdom, both in our relationships with each other and with our relationships with those who are outside of the people of God. 
Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the first 12 verses of this chapter. Here's what the Word of God says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. As we read these 12 verses, it could seem on the face of it that they are somewhat disconnected. And they may even appear that way on the page in the way that the editors have arranged. But I do think that there is a, a thread that connects these verses into a, a thought about how we as the people of God are, are meant to walk in loving wisdom with one another, those inside the community and those outside the community. That, that we are to walk in light of the gospel as the people of God in our relationships. Now Jesus begins with something directly applying to the way that we interact among God's people. Within God's people. And specifically the way that we address sin. Someone who is a part of the kingdom of God but maybe for a moment doesn't look like they belong in the people of God. Maybe there's some unconfessed or perpetual sin that's in their life that needs to be addressed. And this is an important question for us to wrestle with as the people of God living in the already not yet. There are elements of God's kingdom that are present now and will be unfolding even more so until Christ returns. We all know that the imperfection of this world will not be fully removed until Christ returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. And until that time, even as redeemed people even as people who are uh, regenerate have the Spirit of God living within us, we will struggle at times to live as God has called us to live, to, to strive to be holy as He is holy. So how do we address each other in those moments when it looks like we are failing to live to God's holy standard that is fit for His kingdom? What do we do? How do we live out loving wisdom? How do we live out the gospel in moments where our brother or sister are stumbling in our devotion to God? Well, Jesus offers us some advice here. Responses, evidence, ways we can live in loving wisdom when we see a brother or sister stumbling. He says, you need to walk in humility. Humility. When there's a moment when we have to address sin, 
within the community, when we have to walk in loving wisdom in the community, we need to walk in humility. Appropriate love for one another in the people of God comes from a place of humility. It's what we see in chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. When we see someone stumble, it's very easy in our flesh to immediately begin to feel superior to them. To start thinking that we are more deserving to be in the kingdom of God, that we are more deserving to be a part of the people of God than they are because we have not stumbled in the way that they have stumbled. And Jesus attacks this pharisaical attitude head on. Who are you in the people of God to judge others in the people of God? Who are you to decide their worth or their place or their value? You are not the judge in that sense. Jesus is the judge. It's not loving. It's not wise to put yourself in a place of superiority over your brother or your sister. Rather, it is loving and wise to first remember that you are not perfect and that you are unworthy of the kingdom aside from the work of Christ and respond to their moment of need from that place of humility. That's what we see Jesus using this this language of speck and logs to describe to us. Some years ago, I was... I think four or five years old, and I was playing at my parents' house with my cousin, and we were playing like army or something, I don't know, and uh, I had a stick that I was using as my weapon. It was kind of as tall as I was, and so we were using it as a weapon, and I had climbed up on our horse trailer and kind of one of those dueling moments, and I decided I was going to do this really cool move, and I was going to jump off the horse trailer and get around him and go, you know, stab him. Not real, but, you know, pretending to stab him in the back as I came around and with my stick and, and surprise him. Well, as I jumped off the horse trailer, the stick hit the ground first. And then my head went up on the stick and the stick went up my eyelid. So imagine five-year-old with a stick as big as my person hanging out of my eyelid. I went inside. My mom thought I had lost my eye. I thought I had lost my eye. Praise the Lord, all I have today is just a little scar on my eyelid. It's a miracle that I didn't lose my eye that day. But I've always had that image in my mind whenever I read this passage. That every one of us in this room, because of our sin, we have a, a huge stick hanging out of our eyelid. And it seems ridiculous with that big old stick hanging out of our eyelid to look at our brother or sister with some sort of superiority when in relation to our big stick, they just got a little splinter. And what Jesus is calling us to here is to remember that all of us are in the same condition. All of us got wood in our face. And it makes no sense for us to approach our brother or sister with an air of superiority when every one of us have the exact same need. Don't judge someone that you have no business judging in terms of their place in the kingdom. Rather, you need to act in loving wisdom towards your brother or sister. 
and gospel wisdom. Loving community, loving wisdom in the community of God always begins with the gospel to understand that none of us deserve to be here. And yet, God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has acted mercifully toward us. And now in the kingdom, blessed are those who are merciful, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, because they will receive mercy. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love one another. And in moments where weakness is displayed, to strive to call each other back to faithfulness, not from a place of superiority, but from a place of mercy. It's astonishing, though, how little we do this and how often we are not kind to one another. And how often we do take advantage of someone else's stumbling to make ourselves feel better about us and our standing before the Lord. But this is not a healthy or proper way to interact as the people of God. We are not striving to build up ourselves individually at the expense of our brother or sister. Rather, we are striving to push all of ourselves toward greater faithfulness in Christ-likeness. Don't judge. Don't, Don't place yourself in a place of superiority. Rather, have the humility that the gospel demands of you to remember that but for the grace of God, you would not be in the kingdom either. Now, it's important to recognize what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying that we never get to say to a brother or sister that you are doing something wrong that you are stumbling. Although many of us, I'm sure, have heard these verses used in that way. How many times have you ever had a conversation with a, a parent or a loved one or a friend about some sin in their life, and they said to you something of the effect of, hey, didn't the Bible say you shouldn't judge me? Don't judge me. You don't have the right to judge me. That's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, he says the opposite. Verse five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there is gospel interaction here in the sense that we should say, Hey, Jared, you tell me you got a headache. You tell me there's something wrong. Well, guess what? You got a big stick hanging out of your eye. That that could be what's wrong with you. But it's not from a place of superiority. It's not from a place that I'm better than you, and that's why I'm telling you this. It's, hey, I got the same thing wrong with me, and we had the same solution. The gospel of Jesus Christ. When we rebuke, when we call out sin in our brother and sister's life, it must come from a place of humility. And we shouldn't respond with, who are you to call out my flaws? Rather, we should be grateful that we exist in a community that is setting ourselves not as the standard, but setting Jesus Christ as the standard. It's not me versus you. It's us in relation to him and seeking with every fiber of our being to become more like Christ for the glory of God. That's how we interact in loving wisdom with the gospel amongst ourselves. And when that kind of community exists, true repentance will happen. True 
Accountability will happen. True fellowship will happen because it's not masked. It's not fake. It's not from a place of competition. It is birthed from a place of love. Each of us loving Christ enough to point out in our brother and sister those places that are not like Christ so that collectively we can know the joy of being more like him. And we're evidencing the gospel amongst ourselves as we hear the truth of God's word presented to us in love from our brother and sister and respond by asking the Spirit to remove those things that are not like Jesus so that we can walk more faithfully for his glory. So walk in humility. Walk in humility whenever sin rears its ugly head in the community. But then Jesus says this, walk in discernment. And this challenge applies both to the way that we interact with one another and the way that we interact with those who are outside of the people of God. We speak the gospel to each other whenever sin is present. That's how we challenge one another whenever we are evidencing a lack of faithfulness in our brother or sister's life. That's because we are to be a people who speak the gospel at all times. We speak the gospel amongst ourselves and we speak the gospel to those who are outside of the people of God because we want the world to know what we have known, that Jesus has died for us and has given us a way to salvation. We, we want the gospel to be spoken amongst ourselves and without the community of God at all times. But what happens when someone scorns the very gospel that we think is the source of life? What happens when we're sharing with someone who is outside of the faith, who is outside of the people of God, and all they do is mock what we believe. All they do is consistently reject the invitation of the gospel that we present. What happens within the community when verses 1 to 5 takes place and someone who professes to be a part of the community of faith scorns the gospel by not repenting? scorns the gospel by not taking sin seriously. What do we do in those moments? Jesus tells us. Be discerning. Do not give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus says, recognize that the people of God will take the gospel seriously. When there's evidence of the work of God in your life, you're going to take the gospel seriously. You're going to respond to it. There's going to be repentance and belief initially unto salvation. And if you are truly a part of the people of God, when sin is exposed in your life, you're going to take it seriously too. But there are times when people outside the church and even within the church will not take the gospel seriously. And you need to have your spiritual ears up to recognize what that means. They're dogs and they're pigs. And you shouldn't continue to give them what is holy. You shouldn't continue to cast your pearls before them. They are outside of the covenant community. That's what dogs means there. They're outside the covenant community. And hear me, their response to the gospel shows it. 
their response to the gospel shows it. There's no evidence of the Spirit's work upon them drawing them to Christ if they've never confessed their sin initially. And even at times in the people of God, they're evidencing a lack of regeneration in their heart. Do you know that there are people who are a part of the church who aren't really a part of the church? Right? You know there are people who who are cultural Christians. Sometimes they're even wolves in sheep's clothing. And they will evidence themselves when the actions of 1 through 5, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 take place. That's my experience anyway. When you start confessing, when you start addressing sin and the lives of someone who is not truly a believer, they will show their lack of understanding of the gospel in those moments. They will show their true heart. And we as the people of God have to recognize what they are evidencing. We as the people of God have to recognize what it is that their response means to us. And even as we we share the gospel outside of these walls, we have to be conscientious and spiritually wise. And we've shared with someone many, many times, and yet there's no evidence of any kind of openness to the gospel. So what do we do? Well, as the community of God, we move on. We move on. We, we follow the directives that God has given to us from the word, and then we pray that the Lord would do something merciful in their life to save them and to begin to evidence something in them that would lead to salvation. But what if you don't know? What if you don't know whether there's true regenerate, there's a true regenerate heart there and they're just in a season of rebellion or if there's actually no work of the Spirit in their life? How do you know how to respond in that moment? Well, that's the third response. We walk in dependence. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. As the people of God, when you don't know how to proceed, you ask the Lord for wisdom. You ask him for help. Jesus promises us, or James, the book of James promises us, James chapter 1, verse 5, if we ask for wisdom, God will give it. Anytime we ask for something in accordance with the will of God, in accordance with the the movement and the the work that God has assigned to us as his people, God will give us that to help us accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. God will lead us in those moments when we don't know exactly how to proceed. God will honor the request that we make through his word and through the leading of his spirit if we will be committed as the people of God to pray. Which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now certainly there is a a wide context for these verses. The people of God, as we've already been instructed in the in the, the Lord's prayer, it is good to ask our father for things that we need and he will give them to us. And he knows them even before we ask. But in this specific context, it seems like Jesus is is applying those praying principles to the the interpersonal relationships that we are to seek out in the church. 
how we relate to one another in loving wisdom and to those who are outside. And when we can't discern how to proceed, we go to him. And we say, God, we need to know how to respond in this moment in a way that honors you for the sake of the gospel. We want to walk in loving wisdom for your glory and your good. We want to protect the purity of this people and we want to be faithful in sharing the gospel. I don't want to give up on someone who there is evidence of the regenerate work of the gospel at work in their life. But I also don't want to miss another opportunity because I'm staying over here to someone who is completely cut off and unwilling to open their eyes to the grace and mercy of God. Would you show me, would you help me know how to respond in this moment and would you lead me? God promises us that he will. And remember, verse 12, in every circumstance that we find ourselves in, in interpersonal relationships, both within the community and outside of the community, we should strive to treat each other like we would want to be treated. Verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And how we address sin and how we address discipline and the way that we speak the gospel to those inside the church and outside the church, we must always do it with the posture that speaks to our understanding of the gospel and is the posture that we would want to have someone address our sin with. Let us have humility. Let us have discernment. Let us be dependent for the glory of God as we relate with one another for the glory of God. When we function in this way, we nurture and protect the community and the witness of that community for God's purposes. We walk in loving wisdom with one another. And we keep our reputation above reproach with those who are outside. Evidencing at all times the work of the gospel within us and through us for his glory. So, how do we do this today? How can we live out... Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12 today as the people of God. Let me just offer four responses this morning to the way that Jesus is challenging our interpersonal relationships as the people of God. Four responses to Matthew 7. Here's the first one. Let's take sin seriously, individually and corporately. Jesus is addressing these first five verses from the context of a people who take sin seriously. We believe that sin destroys. We believe that sin leads us away from intimacy with God. We believe that sin has had a devastating effect and continues to have a devastating effect upon every inch of creation. And we need to take it seriously. We understand the threat it poses to our own spiritual health and to the community. I think about it in relation to the virus I just now got over. 
COVID, right? You've heard sin described as a sickness. There's a, there's a, a sense in which sin is a sickness. And COVID kind of gives us a, a tangible picture of how sin separates us from the community of God. When I got sick and I started showing symptoms of COVID, immediately I had to be separated from my family and from you because I now posed a threat to your health. I want us to, to take sin as seriously as we take COVID. Because sin can pervade and threaten the health of your family. Sin can pervade and threaten the health of your community. Let me give you an example. Joshua chapter 7 is one of the most striking passages of Scripture in the Bible. It troubles me. Because you see the effect of one man's sin on the community of God. It's a story of a guy named Achan. And at this point in Joshua, the people of God are moving through the land of promise and they're taking the land of promise that God has, has promised to them. They've just had the most incredible victory at Jericho, this city known for its walls. It was a sign of incredible strength. And the people of God were victorious there in the most miraculous fashion. They just walked around the city, sang and blew trumpets, and God removed the walls and gave them the city. And the people of God got to be thinking, if we can accomplish this, if, we can, if God will give us Jericho, there's no people in the land that he will not give us. And so they, they come to Ai feeling very strong and confident, and yet something happens. You see, when God gave Jericho to the people of God, he told them to devote everything in that city to destruction. They were supposed to not keep anything for themselves. All of it needed to be destroyed to purify this land for the people of God. But one man named Achan did not obey. One man named Achan took things that were supposed to be destroyed and brought them into his tent. And listen to what happens. 3,000 men go to Ai believing they're going to be victorious just like they were at Jericho. But instead of being victorious, the people of God are defeated. And listen to this. 36 men, according to verse 5, die. I want you to think about that. 36 men of 3,000 die because one man chose not to obey God. If that doesn't strike you as a part of the people of God, I don't know what will. To think that your actions, your sin has a consequence for the covenant people of God. Now, not in the exact same way today. But certainly we have to recognize that when we're not all rowing in the same direction, when we're not all striving to be obedient to the things of God, it will have a consequence among the people of God to our purity and our witness. And we collectively, individually and collectively, need to take sin seriously because we recognize the danger of sin. And hear me, not just the acceptable sins, not just the ones that we talk about all the time that really aren't dangers to us, maybe. Oh yeah, Jared, get up there and talk about adultery. Yes, you talk about adultery. Because I'm not really affected by adultery, so... It doesn't doesn't hurt my toes. You get up there and you talk about lust. We need to hear more about lust. I don't struggle with lust, so it's okay. 
You get up there and you talk about greed. You talk about improper use of money and not tithing. You talk about all those things. Yeah, we've grown accustomed to those things. But what happens when I start talking about pride? And we've got to go a little bit deeper in our hearts. What happens when I start talking about envy? Or malice toward our brothers or sisters? Or what happens when I start talking about gossip? Destructive language? Are you as open that point to hearing the the word of God and challenge to remove the speck and hear me I never get up here without full appreciation of the log hanging out of my face but do we take sin so seriously that we long for the spirit of God to show places in our heart that do not honor Jesus so we can get them out. Here's what I am convinced of, church. The more seriously we take sin and the more seriously we take the purity that God has called us to, the more effective and powerful we will be as the people of God. So let's do it. Let's take it seriously. Recognizing that the damaging effects it has not only in our own lives individually, but contextually. And secondly, let's address the sin in community for the glory of God. Let's take advantage of the community that God has called us to. Yes, there are a number of benefits to the fellowship that God is forming here at First Baptist Strip Irving and, and forms and, and every church that gathers today. But one of the most incredible benefits it gives us is to help us see sin in our own lives that we would not see otherwise. But for the faithful ministry of brothers and sisters who point those things out, God has given us provision in the church to help remove those things that do not honor God. The question is, will we use it? I think, unfortunately, we have made the church into something other than it was meant to be, where we speak empty phrases to one another more often than we speak the gospel. But what's the goal of us gathering together? Is it to be a moment where we're able to look at other people who are struggling around us so that we feel superior to them and better in the face of God? Or is it a moment to grow in Christ's likeness? Let me challenge you this morning. Matthew chapter 7 is a diagnostic tool for your heart. When you see someone struggling, does it make you feel better about yourself? Or does it drive you to a place of gratitude that there by the gra- but for the grace of God would you be? When you struggle with sin, Do you try to conceal it from your brothers and sisters? Or are you ready to confess it, to find help to grow in Christ's likeness? Friends, if we don't have that latter kind of community, then we have not created gospel community. What a shame that many of us have come to church for years, even before COVID with masks on. 
Because we're afraid that if people really knew what was going on behind the scenes, they wouldn't accept us. Because in our heart of hearts, we wouldn't accept them. But friends, that's not gospel community. Gospel community is not a place where we get together and lie about how good we are. Gospel community is where we collectively confess we all got sticks in our faces. And we all need to look at the cross to get them out. And we're helping each other. Thank you for removing this speck. Guess what I just saw? Let me help you remove that speck so that collectively we can look more like Jesus. Let's commit to walk in community, true community for the glory of God. Not judging each other in the sense that we're pitting each other against one another, but from a place of humility, we are striving to become more like Christ for his glory. Thirdly, let's grow in our commitment to church discipline. When there are those among us who scorn the gospel and evidence that they do not belong among the people of God, let's take church discipline seriously. Now again, we need to seek wisdom here. We don't need to do this carelessly. We don't need to do this from a place of superiority. But we need to be obedient to what God calls us to do in Matthew chapter 18. When there are brothers or sisters among us who are stumbling and fail to repent, we have to address those things for the sake of the community. Now, Jared, some of you, I mean, you'd say, Jared, doesn't that create the opportunity in greater ways for Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5 to take place? Maybe. If we're in sin and we bring someone's sin to light in front of the whole church because it concerns the whole church, there's the potential that we could say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not them. And they deserve that. Kick them out. But it, all, it, all, it could also have the opposite effect. If we're walking in loving wisdom, to bring us to a place of humility and brokenness and caution that we need to be on guard because that could be us if not. And the hope, of course, in all church discipline is that once they are removed from the fellowship, their longing for the fellowship, because God created them for it, would lead them to a place of repentance. But also remember the promise of 1 John. That if they go out from us and they stay out, then they were really never part of us to begin with. And that again is a testament, a reminder to make sure that we, even who grew up in the church, have a true vibrant relationship with Jesus that came about through repentance and belief. Finally, let's glory in the love of God. We love each other, and we love God because of how he first loved us. Talk about a reason for thanksgiving. Let's speak the gospel often to one another. Let's share it faithfully outside of these walls. I pray that we have to go before the Lord because we're sharing the gospel so much. We need to know if the people around us are actually responding to it. Sadly, I don't think many of us have ever had to really 
deal with Matthew 7, 6. Because we're not sharing the gospel faithfully enough to come across someone who's not willing to respond to it. But what if we put ourselves in this position where we love the gospel so much and desire to see it spread not only through Irving, but to the ends of the earth, that we were over and over again telling people about the love that God has shown us in Christ. May we as the people of God glory in the love of God by speaking the gospel to each other and speaking it to the world around us and trusting God with the results. Forming us into a more holy people and using the collective witness of this people to draw people to himself. Wouldn't that be something amazing? That he would use this church to build his kingdom because of the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for those outside of this church because of the love that God has shown us in Jesus. May God continue to build us into a kingdom-worthy people, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Can you imagine what God would do through us if that was true of us? Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond. Here's the first question. Do you know Jesus? Have you been overwhelmed by the love that God has shown you in Christ? To the point where you have repented and believed in him into salvation. That you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So that you could be in community with God. And then the people of God. If not, would today be the day? I can't think of anything more glorious to take place than the salvation of your soul today. And we would give thanks For those of us who are in Christ, how are we doing in our interpersonal relationships? Are we walking in humility with one another? Are we walking in discernment with those outside? And are we walking in dependence upon the Lord to guide our relationships? Are we taking sin seriously as a people? Because we recognize the the threat that it poses to our witness as individuals and the whole of the church? And are we praying that God would use us to spread his good news to the ends of the earth? Because that's what we would want to hear if we were lost with no hope. Father, would you shape us? Would you help us be committed to gospel community, walking in loving wisdom, sharpening one another for your glory? Would you help us take sin seriously and to walk in wisdom when we need to move on to do the work that you've called us to and help us at all times to look like Jesus as we do it, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and respond and sing?